0: Season two of Have You Got Five Minutes is brought to you in partnership with Nextdoor, the neighbourhood app that's used by one in seven households in the UK. This past 18 months, we've all needed to connect a little closer with the communities around us and Nextdoor are working to create a kinder place for people to have a neighbourhood that they can rely on. Tap into your neighbourhood at nextdoor.co.uk or download the app from your app store.
1: i'm rebecca roberts hi i'm harriet small welcome to have you got five minutes the pr comms and marketing podcast answering the things you'd normally have asked about
0: at as an event or while making a brew in the office
1: hi rebecca hi yeah how are you i'm good i was at the bus stop a couple of weeks ago and i saw on the bus they were advertising smeg and coca-cola you know smeg did all the fancy fridges and posters oh god remember of my bloody used a poster? But yeah, they they are doing a collaboration, and it just got me thinking about collabs because I know in the past that Coca Cola has even collaborated with like nail ink, and back in the day I used to keep going and buying the Coca Colas just so I could get the nail polish. So yeah, what interesting ones have you seen when brands work together? Do you know like
0: I think the brand collabs are good, but I can't. It, for me, it's like the celebrity brand collaborations, which I think are really interesting, and like look, we all need to make a living, but some of them I'm like, how does this work? Like some I get like around like the creating a line in you know, like a sports brand range with an influencer and it's actually like a new product range, but some of them are just really odd. So like because we mentioned it I think just not on the podcast of the week, but the Saweetie McDonald's meal. And I was like, how is Because she was asked, I think on the red carpet recently like what's your favorite thing from mcdonald's and i was like oh no she's gonna get this for a long time however when you sort of dug into it she has kind of put some stuff on social media before about like crazy um food combinations another weird one i thought was the uh, the justin beaver crocs range which is sold out but it's it's not it's horrible I, just, I don't know why they have done it. It's just odd. Yeah, I don't know. I, that, I think there's just good ones and bad ones. I just think, I think the bad ones stick out in my head more.
1: Yeah, I'm not lining up to buy a pair of Yeezys anytime soon. But I like it when brands collaborate with each other. So like Peloton, they do a lot of collaborations with the sportswear brands so like Lululemon, Adidas. And then you've also got like, I know Adidas did a range with TfL a long time ago and they created shoes with like the the tube line colors and everything else and I know people loved them and I know like Nike have done like a huge collaboration with Apple for the watch so it does work when like brands work with each other but I think you've also got to think about who's benefiting are we direct competitors and I remember you remember H&M used to do a lot of collaborations with high fashion designers so Moschino, Versace, but, yeah, and I think you've just got to be mindful that you don't alienate your, your clients or your customers because I think for H&M it was a weird one because they were doing Versace and Machino, but they did it at a price point that they're customer base can afford yeah it's a fin- it's it's almost like
0: uh, as much as I joke about the kind of the endorsement and the collaborator projects i think the ones that kind of meet their audience together's were like i think the fresh one's interesting one because you're kind of talking luxury and kind of high street there like halo top you know the um like low calorie healthier ice cream which is actually really lovely they did one with ColourPop cosmetics it's like american but you think about the audience that would kind of consume the ice cream and then the makeup it, like it it kind of made sense and it looked really good like the makeup was in like the similar packaging to the ice cream and I think those kind of things are really clever and you just you remember them but like yeah there's some odd ones I think it's just making sure that that audience would recognize the fit
1: yeah and I think also is I think it can help and I guess who's benefiting the most because if you think about it, like recently I saw on on Instagram MAC Cosmetics were doing something with delivery. So they had and someone go out and buy that like, put the Mac lipstick on and then eat like pizzas and burgers and see how long it lasts. And this is no disrespect to Mac, they're probably you know, they're under Estee Law, they've probably got a lot of money. But they are not doing as well as some of the other beauty houses and also you know, people aren't wearing makeup as much as they used to because we're all, a lot of us are working from home, and also we're wearing masks, so people don't want to wear things like lipstick and foundation. And it's interesting because it can help revive a brand that people aren't thinking of. It can bring it back into the limelight for people to think about, and it can also give it brand recognition. So, for example, the reach that Coca-Cola has is probably way bigger than the reach that Smeg has. So they're piggybacking off Coca-Cola, even though they are maybe the more expensive one in terms of price point, Coca-Cola do have a bigger reach and they do have the bigger name recognition. Yeah, so it's interesting how some people end up getting good PR and marketing and, and even like name recognition out of collaborations
0: but yeah what's really interesting i think like from an audience perspective is like whether it is like um, a celebrity line or like a genuine brand and brand kind of collaboration i guess one would argue like celebrities are all their own brand but the audience would kind of expect those kind of brand values to be consistent. So I was reading something really interesting around like, it was actually around drinks brand because I was looking at Aviation Gym because Ryan Reynolds like acquired that and he sold it off to Diageo for like 600 million or something crazy and was really involved in terms of the brand. But they were saying like, actually with those alignments, like audiences would expect either celebrity or the other brand to kind of respect those values so you kind of need those they're in the same so if someone's a Coca-Cola fan or whatever and Smeg does something that didn't fit with that it wouldn't work or they would call them out it's challenging because brands need to make sure that they fit if that makes sense like the same values that they have difficult conversations that they aren't going to get their audience like you know Disney do so many collaborations you look at Primark and Disney Primark and Harry Potter you know Roald Dahl's just been brought up by Netflix as well in terms of like a publishing partnership I think that's really interesting because you're going to get like a load more programming but if something wasn't kind of consistent like you know that fans they would just feel uncomfortable with that like you look at star wars when disney brought that initially there was such a pushback but disney were really smart in terms of the way that they developed that franchise and partnership in terms of like spoke to the real fans and kind of the spin us really reflected that it is a difficult one but it can be really exciting i just think when they you remember the kind of the odd ones because you're like why would that why would that happen? But yeah, the good ones, I think, they must be really lucrative. So for our five minutes this week, we're going to be talking about the business of magazines. It's no news that print media has had a challenging decade. But what's really interesting, I guess, now is that kind of discourse around like how to fix it. What do you think?
1: <laughs> when you say challenging decade, I laugh because I started did magazines probably about 2010 just after i left newspaper journalism since you okay since Harriet yeah. <laughs> unbearable <laughs> so yeah I started in magazines around 2010 I'm quite I'm showing my age now and at the time I remember like the first day I, so I did a, a MA in, in magazine journalism remember the the first day we started in the class was the day that the times went behind the paywall and I'll never forget it. And that was also the same year that Ryan Giggs was outed in court around the whole um situation, naming Private rhymes. So I'll never forget that year because of those two things. I did internships and I worked at a couple of magazines as well and some titles that people know, but they no longer exist. So You and Your Wedding, um, if you think about magazines like Company, they don't exist anymore. So at that time, you had magazines like Red and L being acquired by, like, Hearst. And so then that transitioned into titles being closed and shut down. And then fast forward to now where we are, you have news of Condé Nast. Condé Nast, which owns things like Vogue and GQ and formerly defunct Glamour, which is now online. So they now have said that they want to move to a model where they are global so we don't have vogue uk vogue italy vogue australia vogue blah blah it's all just one magazine and it's edited by one person and then they focus more on digital and i think this conversation for me came back to mind when i listened to a podcast that terry white did and terry white was the editor most recently at empire magazine but she's also been editor of shortlist and she was editor at time out and in new york and also she was editor of one of the weekly supplements i can't remember which one i think it was the one that was done either by the sun on the weekend but yeah it, she was talking about it so i don't know what your views are
0: yeah do you know it's really interesting in terms of i guess from a from the newspaper perspective you talk about times there but it was almost like trying to solve a problem like trying to keep the industry the same but w- uh, almost like ignoring the, the impact that digital had. And it was like, we'll still have the paper, we'll still do it. And it's taken a while for that recognition. Read some really interesting research, because I'm a geek and I'll link it in, but it was Westendon Marketing and they author this Media Future survey. And last year it found that the number of magazine launches dived by about 60%. So it's a combination of the existing trends, but also the pandemic. But it was a notes on this research that was interesting, specifically about how the industry is starting to mirror the evolution of the music industry and in vinyl records. So they were saying like print does definitely have a future, but it's more about low volume, low frequency, high premium product that's like in a really tight vertical niche rather than trying to be like celebrity gossip news. Because how would you ever, you know, with with social media, we don't need that in a print form like we've got it we had it like two weeks ago by the time you print or whatever it is so I think it's that recognition of where you fit in and how you use those channels and the Terry White podcast was really interesting because she talks about there's a lot in there in terms of like working parenting as well and I guess the publishing industry but almost like what you need to stop doing and I think that's I think for any comms team, I reflect that back around, you know, what social media channels do we need to be on now? And, like, how often are you assessing that? Because you can be spread too thin in marketing comms generally. That That's obvious. You can try and be on everything. You can try and be, you know, maintaining, as I guess, as a magazine, that output all the time. And I think her point was, like, it would be really great if people were a bit more creative around, like, what do we need from our print? And then where can we really excel, like, you know, the podcasts and that kind of fandom that you can build in those niches. And I thought that was a really interesting take on it.
1: But I think also what I really found intriguing about what she was talking about, and I think I've seen this a lot and it does confuse me, is the magazine industry is trying really hard and has tried really hard to find spin-offs to support its income. So it's done, whether that's events, products, email lists, um, podcasts, but it doesn't give it enough attention and time. So a lot of things are done on zero budget or they're done with using in-house resources. So you find someone's the beauty director or beauty editor, but at the same time, they write the piece for the email. At the same time, they have to, you know, interview people for the podcast. At the same time, they may have to sort of plan the event and also network and host it and the rest of it. And so it becomes too much for one individual to do, and then people are stretched so far that they they don't even like. What am I actually doing here? And I think even comms teams, people don't think long term, and they don't think in terms of giving things time and that consistency because things do need consistency. I think about it in terms of so events. So if we take women's health for example, as the, as the print publication, they've had a long-standing event which is. Um, their fitness event that they do women's health live and I know they bought that from somebody else and she was doing it quite successfully as an event person you think about stylists they had they they've been doing Stylist live for a really really long time and it took them a long time to build up the sponsors build up the um, recognition to get the tickets to where they are to sell out but I feel like a lot of people see that in its iteration now and think oh yeah we can do that that will save us but it takes a lot of hard graph. I remember there's an Instagram Live and I'll link it with Vanessa Kinkuru, who's the publishing director at British Vogue. She did an Instagram Live last year where she was talking about the business side of it and taking Vogue as a traditional magazine and then making it into what is now in terms of a digital site and not just the site, but also some that people can consume and using really diverse voices to bring articles to it, but also a lot of collaborations as we've sort of, mentioned but I think one of the things that I really like from what she said is that you inherit a team and they're used to doing something that they're used to doing and although she came from titles such as Esquire when she came into Vogue she had to think differently and she had to tell people you know we're in a different era now so either you're getting on the bus and coming on the journey of how we actually make money and make this thing profitable or you know you, you, you think about where your options are and I think that's really important because Sometimes people are used to doing things in a certain way. You know, we write a press release and we put out one tweet. But then you could be doing so much more. You could be leveraging email marketing and having advertising. You could be starting a podcast and finding advertisers and using that to reach your audiences. But that needs time and that needs consistency. But it also needs people who are ready to go along on the journey. But I also think magazines have, for a long time, ignored certain voices and certain people and alienated them. And as time's gone on, those people have thought, well, if you don't want us, we're okay to go and do what we want to do. I mean, for many years, like, I remember I used to buy magazines religiously, like all the time I had like, like stacks and stacks of movies. But eventually you start to think you're not representing me. You're not catering to me as a black woman. You're not catering to me as a, you know, all the stories you're writing are for a certain group of people, a certain class. So why am I spending my money on you? Why why am I interested in what you're saying? So I'm not spending my money on you. I'm not buying a subscription for you because all the Makeup You feature I can't use. The hair products you talk about have nothing to do with my Afro-kinky hair. So what's the point in me spending my money to buy you and read you?
0: Yeah, I think it's that big thing about recognising how markets are evolving i think there was a lot of snobbery around social media from magazine like look in journalism there always is that discourse between kind of broadcast and print like and there, there just is and i think with social media it's the same but i think the magazines or the outlets that win are recognizing the skills that journalists can bring that really engage the audiences and kind of can see it that way you know and, and it the stuff that i mean do you remember that thing that telegraph there was that rumor that Telegraph are gonna basically pay journalists based on kind of the social media reach of certain articles. And that really is disturbing, because you can just imagine like the more extremist kind of content. And that's why I guess like Daily Mail Online do so well, right? Because people fall down this rabbit hole of like content. But Daily Mail Online, out of all the newspapers, they built such a strong online presence. And so you kind of think like they got it in terms of, How to kind of, I guess, spread awful stories online or whatever. And my brother actually is, he is culture editor for The Guardian in the States, and that is purely online. And that's taken time. Obviously, the pandemic really, I guess, supercharged that in so many ways, and that is really doing well online. But as a model, that was quite challenging, like, you know, a different type of model over there than in the UK. And I think, you know, the outlets that are doing well are really recognizing how they. Kind of embrace different channels and like move with their audiences, and I think you know that is like the industry at large. But how you bring that back into your team, like how often do you assess, like honestly, like people even reading this content we're putting it out, like how often are you asking people and like tracking and and doing social listening and all those things we know we should be doing because sometimes it's really important to go like let's stop doing some of these things and like focus on doing really great other things. (laughs) Like you know, I think that's what we need to do in comms more.
1: Yeah, and. I mean, one of my biggest bugbears with our industry is PR and comms is they look at the big titles and think, yeah, that's where I want to get coverage, that's where I want to get my articles and, and information. But sometimes, you know, your audience is actually not there. And I'm thinking about publications like Black Ballads and Them who really, really target a really specific group of people, myself included, and they have a really loyal following. I think about Black Ballads and their recent funding round where they raised... It was three hundred and fifty thousand from crowdfunding to be able to continue the work. People religiously wait for the founders' letter on a Monday. I don't see that happening with any of the other big publications that are owned by these big, you know, houses. So it's one of those things where people need to really think about actually if I want to reach and and this is something I've, I've spoken about previously in other forums. But I think sometimes even when I talk about things like rugby, I always say is that one of our biggest problems is we're trying to encourage people to come to a sport, and what we're trying to do is to do it around big matches and around Super Saturdays and ETC. But actually, it's the consistent things that happen over time. So if you really want to encourage black women or young black people to get into certain sports or certain professions, or go to the publications that they read. You know, this this business of doing things in isolation somewhere somewhere you know, hoping that they will come to you, it isn't like that, you know, what's the old saying, if the mountain won't come to Mohammed, Mohammed goes to the mountain, you've got to go to the mountain, you've got to go and find your audience where they are, you know, even though it's a sad state of affairs with magazines, I do think that there are a lot of publications we can leverage as as PRs and comms professionals, to find our audience and to communicate with them, but at the same time, I do think that we just have to do a little bit more work to find those publications, because many of us lazy thanks for joining us and everything we've mentioned will be in the show notes we're talking about the questions and issues that matter to you so dm us on social or get in touch with harriet at
0: comsovercoffee.com or myself rebecca at threadandfable.com
1: if you enjoy the podcast please do rate review subscribe so others can find us and have five minutes with us find us on twitter at rebecca seven or at harriet's Season two of Have You Got Five
0: Minutes is brought to you in partnership with Nextdoor, the neighbourhood app that's used by one in seven households in the UK. This past 18 months, we've all needed to connect a little closer with the communities around us and Nextdoor are working to create a kinder place for people to have a neighbourhood that they can rely on. Tap into your neighbourhood at nextdoor.co.uk or download the app from your app store.